And that's, that's why we work with coaches because the rest of us are, I'm worried about my kids and my job and I don't have time to think and play and then be really analytic about the results. But my coach can do that for me, right? I think we, we simultaneously need to strike a balance between it's up to us. My health is my responsibility and I should know how to take care of my sore knee if I jump and land wrong or get a little stiff. And I should know how to program for myself at the basics. But if anything, this shut down, shut in experience for me has shown us, well, there's a lot of really simple body weight programming on the internet right now for free, <laughs> but coaching is lacking. And what you're going to see is we belong in a tribe. We're supposed to, and look, without getting into religion here, uh, I'm pretty sure Jesus said, wherever one or more people, two, two or people get together, I will be there. Yeah. Like, like we have to belong together mm -hmm. as a tribe. Muhammad said the same thing. The Buddha said the same thing. It's almost like the part of the magic of training is having a teacher and being in a class. And look at any martial arts tradition and tell me that that is not the core feature. I have a master teacher who engages and plays and teaches and instructs. And then I have serious, you know, master students, but then we are training and learning together. That is, I mean, Brene Brown was just on 60 minutes and she's like, look, right now we are fighting against our fundamental DNA, which is stay apart. Like kids who are like, we have a whole bunch of kids in high school, one of the local high schools here, and they're congregating in, in soccer fields and sneaking around and, and all the adults are like, it's so bad. I'm like, dude, they are just giving into the nature that tribe and young tribe matters. Yeah. And we're going to need that more and more. So to your original point, what you're figuring out is, okay, what's the most, what's the minimum effective dose and which practices are my core practices? And something that you have done extremely well is instead of saying, let's memorize step aerobics with vaulting, which is what it is. If I, if I open up a parkour book, I don't know how the skills relate. I don't know what the fundamental shapes and building blocks are. You have, I think this is the hallmark of your thinking is that you have said, here are the essentials, then here's how we build complexity, right? And that's easier to understand in Olympic lifting. It's easier to understand in, in strength training. It's harder to appreciate in more natural movement. Welcome to the Evolve Move Play podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and enlightening conversations around movement practice and how you can become the most heroic version of yourself through pursuing movement that's relevant to your nature. This is a podcast that's going to feature some of the top movers in the world, some of the most amazing movement thinkers, and people from fields that are related to movement as far afield as evolutionary theory, strength and conditioning, and everything in between. So if you're interested in movement, please stick around. And if you like our work and want to support it, please consider supporting us on Patreon because this podcast is completely listener supported. We don't want to take any advertising. We don't want to interrupt your experience of watching the show. So what really helps us get the best thinkers on, have the time to put these together, have the best quality for you guys as far as audio and video is your support. So please consider supporting us and enjoy the rest of the show. Hey guys, Reef here from Evolve Move Play. Today, our guest is Kelly Storette. So Kelly is world famous mobility expert, CrossFit coach, owner of San Francisco CrossFit, uh, founder of what used to be called the Mobility Wad, what is now um, the Ready State, and general, you know, Superman in the world of fitness. Kelly and his wife, Juliet, and his partner in the business were our 
first guests ever on the Evolve Move Play podcast, all the way back in 2016. And Kelly and I had not had a real conversation um, really since then. Um, so this was long overdue and it ended up being a thing where we had to have a conversation, um, part of the conversation one day and then come back the week next week and finish it. And even then it feels like there's so much more that we could have dug into. Uh, Kelly has so much to share. He has so much experience and this was really a wonderful conversation. I think you guys will get a lot out of it. Um, once again, while I've got you guys, before we get started, I just wanted to mention that the INP, our Introduction to Natural Parkour course, which leads you into our membership, is available for sale right now. This is something we've got 100% positive rating on. We know, you know, people are stuck at home. They're unable to engage in their normal fitness practices, unable to go to the gym. And we think this is an amazing time to go ahead and devote yourself to building an outdoor natural movement practice. And we want to support you and make that happen. So click in the link below, click the link below in the description to get that and, you know, to find out everything about Kelly. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Kelly Sturette. Kelly, it's a real pleasure to have you on. You're the first guest ever on the Evolve Move Play podcast. So I uh, can't believe it's been four years, but it's uh, good to have you back. Oh man, it is like a family reunion. We have known each other for a minute, my friend. It has been a while, yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I wanted to ask you is, last time I was talking to you, you had just done the Molokai Outrigger Canoe Challenge, I believe. Whew. So uh, I figured I'd start with, what's the most interesting movement challenge that you've taken on recently, and what did you learn from it? It's great. You know, I really love uh, sort of the thinking behind the idea, like how are you challenging yourself, right? What, what are you doing to get, letter, get better? Um, my most recent, and it's, it's not as radical as paddling Molokai Channel, yeah. but I've discovered this company called Slack Block, and they basically make a, a miniaturized slack line for your house so you can be working on balance all the time. And it's just a little rectangle plate on a piece of foam. It's genius. But they also make a, an addition to your slack line. So it takes a plate and adds a plate on the slack line. And what you're able to do is have much better foot function. And by expanding out the plate base, you create a larger moment arm. So yeah. it's harder to correct. You can't, you can't just, you know, the, the corrections are much larger in magnitude. And I have become obsessed with that. So I am on it as much as I can in the, as we're all shut down, you know, you're up in, up in Washington, I'm in San Francisco. And, and uh, so in my backyard, I'm living on the slack plate and playing with really different positions. What's it look, you know, breathing, foot shapes, different angles, kind of instead of the classic slack line, this plate allows me to rotate my foot and put kind of longitudinal forces through the balance and just challenge myself. And then, you know, I would say that. And then what one of the things that's interesting is, um, you know, I suffered a knee injury like six years ago. I, basically put my femur through my tibia and I have this really bad spot where I don't have any meniscus and it's definitely tight bone on bone in some deep squat position. So I can air squat pretty well, but um, I can pull heavy, swing heavy, but like jumping and landing, I definitely need to go left leg then right leg. Right. So I'm probably cruising towards some kind of, of knee replacement eventually. But in the meantime, like I don't have any pain. My range of motion is great. I'm always obsessing on my balance but the bike has been become really interesting again to me. And I've always been a cyclist, a mountain biker, but I've been spending a ton more time, you know, really looking at what it looks like 
to be an aerobic athlete again. And that seems to just continue. I mean, and I've been on this aerobic athlete tip now for, mm-hmm. you know, since the year before I went to Molokai, but in maybe six years, I've really just been putting a ton of energy into my aerobic base and then really focusing on my CO2 tolerance through nose breathing. And I'm finding that there's no top end to this sort of aerobic capacity. And sometimes as you and I have had these conversations many times about sort of the recursive nature of gym training, which is just like, you know, I reward myself with more pull-ups so I can do more pull-ups. Like what the hell is that about? Right? Like how strong do you need to be? Well, it turns out I'm strong enough. And so I'm able to really manage my training loads and think about, Hey, these are restorative positions. I only need to pull heavy once in a while. And then I'm able to really work on some of these capacities that feel unlimited. Like they're just limitless. So between sort of nerding out on hardcore balance and then really seeing what's possible. I mean, we have a bike climb near our house. That's sort of, it's, it's about 27 minutes. So it's to this one little spot. And from our house, I push off from the door and I climb, do this little, this time trial. And, um, what's interesting to me is I can push into 90% of my max heart rate now by nose only breathing and be there comfortably. So it's, for me, it's really, um, been remarkable to think about how much capacity is left open when I really look at the efficiency and the physiology and training that system and CO2 tolerance. And then of course the, the balance skill instead of, well, at some point I'm 47 year old man, I pulled 600 earlier this year. How much bigger do I want to be? How much stronger I need to be? Like that's just dead end conversation, but being more skilled, being really putting my energy into this aerobic base has just been really transformational. Super fun. Yeah. Let's dig into that. The aerobic base is something that I find interesting and I haven't gone nearly deep enough on in my own work. Right. Because, uh, parkour athletes, right? Like we we're usually moving for, you know, 10 seconds in a long run, right? Like if you're at a, if you're at a parkour competition, if it takes 20 seconds for people to finish the, the run, then it's a long one. So we're, we're very phosphage and dominant athletes. And then I came up in the era of, you know, like everyone was kind of, if you, if you, if you run, if you do anything like that, you're going to bathe your, your tissues in lactic acids. You're going to get slow. You're going to transition all of your fast twitch, <laughs> slow twitch, right? Um, you know, when I worked with that, I worked with a track coach for a while. Um, and, and he was like the fastest people just never, never do this. You know, Charlie Francis, whenever they had to have, uh, have, um, Ben Johnson, you know, they'd ask Ben Johnson to run longer distances and he'd go hide in the bathroom. So that was kind of the, the attitude that I had about aerobic base training for a long time. But then, you know, as we were talking about in our last conversation, you know, started to have this realization that, you know, actually your recovery between bouts of intense exercise is very affected by how efficient your aerobic base is, or even something like your sleep, which obviously is critical for your recovery between training sessions. Um, and so, you know, and then, it was influenced by CrossFit early on. And one of the kind of key claims of the very early days of CrossFit was that training primarily in the glycolytic system, like Tabata type protocols would derive both of the phosphagen and the aerobic uh, oxidative pathway adaptions that you need. It's like you can do, you know, uh, 10 minute wads and get the, the, 
true long endurance and adaptions that you're looking for. And it doesn't look like that's the case to me. You know what uh, I've encountered. No, and that's not, and that's not how anyone is training, you know, yeah. even so if we look at as CrossFit as a sport, which yeah. is, you know, for whatever that is, I mean, those guys and girls are doing incredible things, running sub six miles, deadlifting yeah. a ton, right. Yeah. Very skilled. But what we've found is that they, all of the best CrossFit athletes are spending a ton of time in that aerobic base. The problem is we were only doing junk mileage, right? Just crap mileage. And we didn't put the skill into that. So when we suddenly start to layer in aerobic training, and the real question is how much do you need? I mean, do you, do you need to ride seven days a week to be a good parkour or run? No, like you're always running. But looking at that as, as sort of monostructural efficiency, and maybe it's I do a short interval piece where I, you know, I'm running 200s until I stop right? Or 10 seconds or 20 seconds. So what's the domain? And I'm going to do really clean repeats on that until my capacity drops. Or I'm going to one day a week, do some really quality base work. And if you can't go run a 5k, if that really does mess you up as a Parker athlete, then let's remove the athlete from your conversation, right? You're not an athlete and you're doing a ton of running. The question is what kind of running? Are you just mouth breathing the whole time? What's your cadence look like? So what's been really interesting is putting back this, this skill into this aerobic training. You know, what you'll see is that, you know, watch people compete and, you know, watch them pre-breathe, watch them post-breathe. And again, if, if, if what we can do is sort of parse out what it is we're doing. So I think a lot of us maybe train parkour, right? Let's just say use that as our base training. But do we compete in it? Because unless you're an elite parkour athlete, where we're really worried about you losing your power or losing your 10-minute sprint, what I would tell you is that most of our parkour athletes are spending zero time sprint training, and yet that seems to be really important. Yeah, so what yeah. you're telling me is, I don't like to suffer long, I actually don't like to breathe hard, so I'm going to become an Olympic, Olympic lifter or a power lifter or a parkour athlete, right? Like, I'm just going to be able to live in this 12 to 14 second glycolytic, you know, piece. Yeah. So what's interesting then is because what we've tried to do is help people wrap, wrap their heads around sort of this notion of specialization. And it's important to understand the continuum of potential training stimuli. So let's take, let's take it. I'm a competitive Parker athlete or I'm a competitive ex-athlete. Mm -hmm. The goal of any other strength and conditioning, and I'll put conditioning running into the conditioning part, strengthening and conditioning, is to facilitate better performance in the sport that you're doing. So how do I know my training is working? Well, I can vault higher, I can run faster, I'm more explosive, I can, right? That's the only measurement. So the, the sport is the measurement, right? And that's sport-specific training. So there's a whole lot of skills we can cut off during a season, okay? Because the only goal is to support you to make you a better athlete during your season. I'm a better soccer player. My goal is to only support your soccer skills and nothing else. Like, what are the minimums? And that takes coaching. It takes understanding of knowing what the physical demands are for the, for the athlete. But then we slip back into what I call sports preparation training, which is what most of us need to be doing year-round. So sports preparation is looking at positional quality, is developing other skills, so that we have a readiness of the body then to go slip into a competitive season and do some sports-specific training. So if I'm in a competitive cycle, I drop out some of the things I was doing in my sports preparation because they don't necessarily support my short-term goals of being a high-level soccer player this season. 
right? Yeah. At the end of your season, you should look like a parkour athlete. Your aerobic training should be crap, right? <laughs> You're maybe not as very explosive and strong, but you've survived your parkour training season and done really well. Then we slip back into sports preparation where we can rebuild those bank counts, rebuild that credit that we can spend in our season. On the other side of sports preparation, a good physical preparation, GPP, which is what CrossFit is, can become an overlap of sports preparation. So the problem was we looked at CrossFit and I remember being in your gym and watching some parkour athletes jump and land with collapsed feet and swinging from bar to bar. And I was like, that is a crap landing. And yet being better at thrusters and doing more thrusters per second didn't improve that person's landing, right? And, and I think what we said was, be better at CrossFit early on or any GPP system, and that would just magically translate into better skill. Sports preparation is always about refining skill and making sure that we're not at cross purposes with other athletes, so that we are reinforcing the mechanics that then they can take into their specialization time. So on the other side of sports preparation is this GPP, and that's what a good, healthy, strength and conditioning, well-rounded platform for the average person. It's like CrossFit can be a great GPP program. Kettlebell training can be a great GPP program, right? We're looking at energy systems. We're exposing the joints and tissues to more full range, right? Yeah. Whatever that looks like for you. And then on the other side of that, we'll call it fitness, which is just do a bunch of work, shred, burn calories, like fitnessing. And that's Barry's boot camp. That's Orange Theory. That's Soul Cycle. Crush yourself. Did you crush yourself? You didn't crush yourself. Go crush yourself. And that's valid too. And then the other side of that, we'll put in things like dance and play and fun and right. It doesn't. There's value in all of those things: community, tribe, movement, rhythm, all of those things. Zumba. But if my Zoom, it's great. I mean, go to a Zumba class. Tell me you're not going to come out just grinning your ass off and feel like you connected with people, right? But to sell Zumba as GPP is sort of disingenuous, right? And so what we can then do is really start to say, well, you know, what is our goal? What do we need to do right now? And if you're in the middle of a com competitive season, maybe we do have every 10 days or so, we put in a really simple restorative 20 to 30 minute aerobic piece, but really forcing you not to do crap aerobic work but nose only breathing, working on a technique, right? Making that restorative in its thing. One of, the, one of the things we know about our elite athletes, like cross country skiers, bikers, those people, is that their easy days are so easy and their hard days, you cannot survive. They're so hard. Yeah. The average person only does kind of medium days, right? Where they're like, I sort of should have gone easy, but I went sort of harder. And I really should go hard, but I can't go hard, so I go easier. And so most of us are living in these medium workouts, and that's fine. But, you know, let's not then go into the internet and profess that we have the best way to train. And, you know, and again, whatever is keeping you moving and is your practice is valid for me. But, comma, you know, right now, I can say to myself, what are my goals? Well, I want to do these long bike rides. You know, I did a six, the last interesting challenge I had was in September and I rode on my bike six days in the desert with some friends. We did a bike camping support trip and we rode like 50 to 60 kilometers a day through brute, and sometimes that was seven hours on the bike. And to be able to string that many big efforts of technical mountain biking in a row, was really difficult. We none of us had ever done that before. Like one day, sure. Two days, sure. Three days, maybe. Six days, holy crap. So, 
that's really what's interesting is how do I, at age 48, become more skilled and how do I start to make sure that I'm feeling good and not exposing myself to problems that are going to show up when I'm losing my range of motion, losing my elasticity when I'm 60, 70, 80, 90. That's the next conversation, right? Yeah, for sure. So let's back up for a second here. I wanted to, there, you, I actually watched a video where you kind of went over some of the stuff that you went over, which is this idea of like, you know, what's fitnessing, what's like training, and then what's, what's sports specific. And uh, I, I think it's a really useful way of understanding the, the spectrum of training. But I also think it's like, there's a frame there, which um, is interesting to break, which is the frame that the training continuum ends in the sports specific, right? Because most of the athletes that we work with uh, are they, they're not competitive athletes, right? Most people are not competitive athletes. And so I've been thinking a lot about the idea of like, even if you're a competitive athlete, is that, is that the end goal, right? Why are you a competitive athlete? And as I look at natural movement, right, as a concept, to me, it, it, it's, 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 a, it's a replacement for GPP. It's a GPP system, right? Um, it's a well, let, let, let me say that it certainly can be. Yes. But sometimes the way we've sold it is that it is a replacement, but then you will find out that you have huge holes. Yeah, right. Absolutely. But comma, that's an artifact of programming and coaching, not a function of the of the style. Yeah. And I would agree with you one hundred percent. If you took natural movement as your base movement practice, you're gonna you're gonna check a lot of boxes. Mm-hmm. And then maybe couple days a week, you need to pick up a kettlebell. And a couple days a week, you need to go run a hill. Yeah. But then once again, I'm like, you're going to probably be 100 years old and really useful. That's a, yeah. great, that's a great practice. I agree with you. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're in the middle of, uh, of, of, of bringing in some of this programming. We just uh, developed an online membership system. And so first, we're trying to establish all of the, the kind of cardinal physical skills that we're looking for people to have. Love it. Love it. Like, okay. You know, I can teach you new vault stuff like every week for weeks, but you also have to run, right? And and you know, basically, like your sprint tra- your sprint training is not going to change every week. Your your running training isn't going to change every week. So like my running training, you know, basically, I I was having a lot of chronic fatigue issues, um, and I ran into Phil Maffetone's work and just did a block of Maffetone training, right? Like twenty minutes, keep that heart rate under one hundred and forty. And when I first started, you know, I couldn't run a mile and keep my heart rate under 140 beats per minute. So that's really the magic, right? Is that you were like, hey, I am a really competent mover and I'm explosive. And yet your training did not expose that you had this gigantic stinking hole right in the middle of your system. Yeah. And until you figure it out, right, you don't know. And it's not, it's not just like you should be able to do that because a human should be able to do that. But actually your training, your recovery, your experience of being a human in the world is sucking because you're missing this piece, right? Because I'm experiencing chronic fatigue. I can't recover from my training, et cetera. Do a block of maffetone training. And then all of a sudden the progress in the parkour is better. And well, and there's so many ways in, you know, I love, I love, that we are at the heart of this conversation saying, what is it about our training that's essential? And more importantly, what is it about our training that allows us to experience self-actualization, right? Mm -hmm. I'm using training 
to understand that, hey, I wasn't sleeping well and I was feeling chronically fatigued. And, and suddenly the training is the diagnostic tool, which is what the whole goal of a movement practice was in the first place, mm-hmm. right? The, the first thing I do every single day before I train is I drop down into an uncompensated squat. My feet are straight. My balance is between my ball and foot and the heel. I'm not saying that's the only position you jump and land in, right? Mm-hmm. But that is my assessment. Like, do I have full access to these positions? And then suddenly I'm like, wow, I'm, the session cost yesterday was awful. My first way that I prepare myself is through natural movement, right? I get on the ground, yeah. move my joints to full range. And that's how I assess how I'm doing in my life through my practice. And all you did was cleverly add this sort of metabolic piece, training piece. Because I'm, I'm like, look, you're a power athlete. I get it. But you can't run a mile with your heart rate under 140. Like, like Phil didn't say you need to run it 15 minutes. He didn't say you need to run eight minutes. Just keep your heart rate under 140. And you're like, wow, I can't even do that. Mm-hmm. I have developed this system where I'm still pretty fast, still pretty strong. But I did these repeats just a couple of days with my wife where I put out 400 watts on the bike for a minute, mm-hmm. right? So 400 watts on the bike. Just go ahead and do those for me and let me know how that goes. And then, I, and then I rest for a minute and I just spin and I recover and do nose only breathing, work on CO2 tolerance and breathing mechanics. And I repeat that 14 to 16 times in this one seat. My heart rate never went above 140. And so I can do a freakish amount of work and not spike my heart rate. And then what I'm telling you and things that you discovered is, hey, there's so many ways into this where I can maintain my power and make explosion. But if you are seeing that you don't have access to these fundamental physiologic traits, if you really aren't base trained, I mean, if we go back to George Hebert, you know, and the, the, you know, the original, you know, think around this, you're going to see that his aerobic standards were brutal. Like, what do you mean? You can't swim a K, you can't run a 5K, you can't like, he, and he would say, like, what's wrong with you? You know, and mm-hmm. so I think what's what's easy is that, you know, because of our need for tribe and our need for identity, I'm a CrossFitter. I'm a parkour athlete. I'm a yogi. I'm like, bro, like, don't let go of that identity. And let's make sure that we don't accidentally create huge gaps in our experience, you know, because I think all of us can become more skilled. I mean, you know, I'm like, I agree. You probably don't need to do hundred pushups. Can you give 10 strict pushups for me? Oh, you can't. You know, how many, how many strict pull-ups can you do? Five? You can't even do five. Your son can do five strict pull-ups. So, you know, if he's five years old and I have an adult who can't do five pull-ups and we're arguing about the specificity of training, I think we've missed the, the block here. You're telling me how many grams of fat I need and like, you're not actually eating food yet. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> that's sort of the thing. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's okay. That's the game. That's who we are as humans. Like, that's okay. That gets us here. Then we can have the next conversation. Yeah, that's that. We, I think of natural movement as as whole food movement, right? That's right. Right. But one hundred percent. But then the question is, like, I guess my question is the question that I've been working on is, what are the whole foods, right? And that's like, right. For me, um, playing around in trees and sparring and flipping and all that stuff that just that just like turns me on, and I can make all these great references for how that stuff is doing great stuff for you and it is but maybe you just have to run for a really long time every once in a while or do something <laughs> that's a sustained effort and that might that might not be my cup of tea um but then you if you leave this thing out and 
And this is, this is what I'm really interested in is how do we like identify those things that you absolutely can't. So there's two concepts that I'm working with right now. One is like, um, uh, how do we stack benefits? Right. So that's right. I, only have a I got, I got an hour to move. Yeah. How, what does this session look like? Yeah. So I don't have to keep adding things in. Right. Cause then you have the kluge concept, which is, man, I did this. It's great. But now I got to do these other seven things. Right. Yeah. That's, I don't have time for that. Where's my, how do I get my free gains? Right. So recently I've switched from training, you know, muscle to huge, huge piece in, in what we do. Right. Um, so it's really focused on muscle up training, but recently I've switched to a focus on single arm pull-up training. Right. And I found that I make better progress on my muscle ups by trying to, by aiming at that single arm pull-up, right. Just the pull strength development, something about that, that what's happening when I do that in, you know, uh, maybe it has to do with the, the kind of rotational demands that come up when you don't have both hands fixed, or maybe it's the ability to, uh, to get that full range of motion, just really, um, you know, it's a little bit of like a HIT concept where you're, you're going as absolutely hard as you can the entire rep. And I do that once a, uh, once a week and boom, week to week, consistent progress, strength is improved, but it's like, I can do that in a a few minutes and then I get stack all these benefits that apply to everything that I want. That's right. And that's, that's why we work with coaches mm -hmm. because the rest of us are, I'm worried about my kids and my job and I don't have time to think and play and then be really analytic about the results. But my coach can do that for me. Right. Mm -hmm. I think we, we simultaneously need to strike a balance between it's up to us. My health is my responsibility and I should know how to, take care of my sore knee if I jump and land wrong or get a little stiff. And I should know how to program for myself at the basics. But if anything, this shut down, shut in experience for me has shown us, well, there's a lot of really simple body weight programming on the internet right now for free, <laughs> but coaching is lacking. And what you're going to see is we belong in a tribe. We're supposed to, and look, without getting into religion here, uh, I'm pretty sure Jesus said, wherever one or more people, two, two or people get together, I will be there. Yeah. Like, like we have to belong together mm -hmm. as a tribe. Muhammad said the same thing. The Buddha said the same thing. It's almost like the part of the magic of training is having a teacher and being in a class. And look at any martial arts tradition and tell me that that is not the core feature. I have a master teacher who engages and plays and teaches and instructs. And then I have serious, you know, master students, but then we are training and learning together. That is, I mean, Brene Brown was just on 60 minutes and she's like, look, right now we are fighting against our fundamental DNA, which is stay apart. Like kids who are like, we have a whole bunch of kids in high school, one of the local high schools here, and they're congregating in, in soccer fields and sneaking around and, and all the adults are like, it's so bad. I'm like, dude, they are just giving into the nature that tribe and young tribe matters. Yeah. And we're going to need that more and more. So to your original point, what you're figuring out is, okay, what's the most, what's the minimum effective dose and which practices are my core practices and something that you have done extremely well as instead of saying, let's memorize step aerobics with vaulting, which is what it is. If I, if I open up a parkour book, I don't know how the skills relate. I don't know what the fundamental shapes and building blocks are. You have, I think this is the hallmark of your thinking is that you have said, here are the essentials. 
then here's how we build complexity, right? And that's easier to understand in Olympic lifting. It's easier to understand in, in strength training. It's harder to appreciate in more natural movement. But then, you know, now we start to have this conversation, as you're saying, about, well, what is essential? What, what's the best thing? If I take my, you know, 11-year-old daughter, I'm like, we're going to work on one-arm pull-up hanging. Like, like, what are you talking about? She's a tank. We call her a bear. But what Caroline does is put her foot in the, you know, in a, one of the bands, and then she sends our monkey ladder up and monkey ladder down and monkey ladder up on the pull-up bars. And, yeah. and I'm like, well, that's her one-arm training. So mm -hmm. for you to be able to say, this is what's essential, that I have control through the single limb, and I get all of the rotational kinematics because you can't pull in a bad position. You can only pull in a good position. And suddenly, right, what we're seeing is it's repetition without repetition. And what we're finding out now ah. as, a dec as a decade of practice, and you are, I mean, I don't think people, for, I think people know you as this incredible natural mover. They don't know you also as a, an accomplished Olympic lifting coach. Mm -hmm. They don't know you as a CrossFit coach. They don't know you as like, you can do all of these things, which means that you can synthesize and integrate the practice that really creates well-rounded GPP play, right? And I can still be powerful. I can still look good naked. I still, right. I can still do the thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is a living document. I think if you and I went back 10 years, we'd be like, Oh my God, these guys are just barbarians. If we went back <laughs> 15 years, yeah. we would put our heads in the sand and be like, we know nothing, Jon Snow, but yeah. that's not where we are now. What we're seeing is this real aggregation of experience and knowledge from these varied sources. And we've started to let go of our tribal identities. So we're able to go to move mat. We're able to go to parkour. We're able to go to gymnastics and be able to sort of synthesize and integrate what is essential. And that is then a dial we can turn up and turn down based on your goals. And that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. We kicked over a few different topics there that I really want to dig into. I want to try to try to keep it, you know, focused on one level. Um, so one of them is this idea of like meaning in, in movement. Right. And this has become a, a core aspect of what we're doing. So I want to I want to dig deep into that. And then there's the aspect of like uh, identifying the things that that are the fundamentals. Right. How do we think about fundamentals? And there's some really I've got a lot of stuff I'm thinking about right there. Um, and then there's you know, we've been having a conversation about specifically the aerobic system, because that's like a fundamental that I think I haven't understood to the degree that I want and need to need to get a better kind of map to of how we balance this for athletes who are looking to have this beautiful set of skills that, you know, I demonstrate, um, but are also looking to treat this as a GPP system, right? Where it's not just like, let, let me go collect all those things that make me look good on Instagram. It's like, no, I want to become the most functional human being I can through these practices. So that's like three different, three different levels of the conversation that we're at. So and, and levels that I typically almost want to be hidden from practice. I want people to be able to just come into the practice yeah. and trust. But the meta conversations behind that are immense. Yeah. The intellectual sort of dissonance that we're battling with is really the thing. And this is why my best friends are coaches, why I'm most interested in the coaches of the world, because I see them struggling and integrating and fighting with exactly the same things you're talking about. I love it. This is, this is my life. Beautiful. What is essential? So let's start at the most essential, which is like the question I'm really interested in is we know that people need movement. We also know that most people are not going out and getting it in their lives. 
And I think that at some level, our culture has made a, a profound mistake in the way that we treat it. And we've failed to tap into the motivational systems that get people going. And I think play is a big piece of this. And that's kind of the, where the beginning of the Evolve Move Play thing happened. But it, as an adult, play has, has, a, has a role to play. But if it's only play or it's only hedonic, right? Like, I just do this because it feels good. It, it's not enough, right? So we need something deeper. So uh, around the time that I met you, or uh, 2012, 2013, um, you know, I was super serious, very focused on like a professional methodical approach to, to parkour and trying to become like an elite parkour athlete. Um, and I pushed and pushed my body and what ended up happening was, <laughs> so this is a funny story. Uh, I don't know if I've told you this, but so I moved to, to Seattle, started teaching CrossFit, and I was trying to train my parkour, do Mark Ripito's starting strength program, and then the, the CrossFit I was working for was throwing all these chippers at me and wanting me to participate in the workouts, doing these long chippers. Just Makes perfect start. sense. Yeah. And then I ended up working, uh, I, I moved away from my wife. Her sister died in a car accident. She was in grad school. We were trying to build a house in a town that I wasn't living in. Um, and then I was working uh, at... 7 a.m., 8 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, four, five, six, seven. Those are the CrossFit classes I was teaching. And then at eight, I got to teach my one parkour class of the day. So I'd been, I'd been doing like jiu-jitsu, Muay Thai, running, natural movement. You know, I was lean. I was paleo. I was, then I was in Seattle. And all of a sudden, it's like I'm just down in like sweet Greek yogurt, sweetened Greek yogurt with, with, uh, <laughs> with granola to like get myself through the end of the day here. Um, and so I, I blew, I ballooned up from like 192 to 210, like really terrible body composition. But at the same time I had, uh, I hit a 223 Fran and 147, uh, grace and like a 440 deadlift, but my movement quality went to shit, right? Absolutely shit in, in my parkour. So then I, I went, super intense, uh, like intermittent fasting, calorie reduction, low carb. Perfect. Let's <laughs> add another, let's add more stress in there. It's so good. This is exactly why I have a coach <laughs> done all this stupid shit so that I don't have to make these mistakes. So here's the story of what happens, right? So, uh, so I get myself down back to 195, I'm like 10% body fat. Uh, and we set up the very first parkour competition, uh, on the West coast, right? And in that competition, I'm running the running it, and I'm also uh, also trying to run in it, compete in it. Of course. And during the demonstration of the first event, I fell off in a really weird and atypical way, and then I had a panic attack. So then, over the course of the next few months, I had. I love that your your brain and body is, is throwing up every flare, <laughs> every signal, and you're like. Just need more Greek yogurt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then, uh, then I had uh, so over the course of basically eighteen months, I had two back spasms. I tore ligaments in both my feet. I subluxated my cuboid bone. Um, I re-injured an old rotator cuff injury. And of course. I healed up from all of that. Went out and you know went from training four or five hours a week because I was injured to twenty hours a week traveling, going to all the other parkour gyms. I come back and I knew like I had this weird like clicking in my ankle like my ankle would if it went uh um if my ankle everted uh too far 
I would feel it click and there would be this pain and I'd have to grab my ankle and pull it out until it clicked again and then it would go away. And I was having calf cramps all the time. Weird. So, uh, so I was like, I know my body needs a rest. I'm going to do one more parkour jam and then I'm going to take a rest. And on that day, I was like Superman. Nobody else could do the jumps that I was doing. I was first trying everything and then I tore my Achilles tendon. You know, um, <laughs> You know, the, the issue was, you know, one of the fail safes is that you need to be in a training environment. So we talked about, um, you know, Brene Brown, you know, the heart of what she was saying on her 60 Minutes interview is that we are designed to be together. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so let's extend that to I have training partners. If I don't have a coach, I have a training community. I have two or three people who are like, dude. You need to lay off because it is hard to have perspective. What I would say is your experience is strange. Like in retrospect, you're like, oh my God, you're an idiot. But the fail safe was we hadn't educated the experience around it. We didn't know how to integrate the food. We really didn't a few years ago. And I would say what an idiot you are. But remember, I ended my paddle career by creating a nerve traction injury through my neck and an overuse injury through a nervous system where my hand went numb. And that was because I was paddling 11 to 13 times a week and going to the gym three or four times a week and riding my bike to the pool to swim because we were gonna outwork everyone. And I outworked myself right off the national team. And <laughs> when I started asking everyone, you know, everyone's like, oh yeah, we, we knew this was gonna happen. It always happens. I was like, what you mean? Why didn't someone say something? So, you know, this is where we have a chance to really integrate these practices and also say what's essential, how do we know? And we also have to really be able to put the brakes on and say, hey, look, you know, you shouldn't compete right now. You're not set up. I'm working with a cyclist who, uh, uh, her name is Kate Courtney. And I'm gonna point out to you, if you don't follow, it's uh, Kate plus fate on the Instagram. She is the world champion two years ago. And then last year, in mountain biking and then last year won uh the overall world cup and she did that in her first and second year on the tour as a as a senior which is unbelievable she's 23 but i've never met an athlete with more road like runway ahead of her mm -hmm. uh, of them and any of the athletes i've worked with she takes care of her sleep and prioritizes her sleep first so she's the queen of naps she follows and tracks on whoop right her, she eats whole foods. Like she is the next generation of all the stupid mistakes we make. <laughs> and the, she feels safe. She trains at home. She keeps her life simple and is able to get so much work done. When we watched, um, everyone, of course, in your community has seen Free Solo, right? With Alex Honnold. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. And look at when he did that, how simple his life was. He slept in his van. He didn't really have tech. He climbed. He, walked, he ate, slept in his van, and there was no distraction, no what is essential. And he was able to get a lot of work done. And as modern humans, we're sort of paralyzed by all of the things. Can you imagine going 20 years back and being like, I'm paleo, I'm lifting, I'm, you know, no one could have handled that volume. And, and so the, the failure at that moment for you was that no coach said, stop it, you're being an idiot, right? Yeah. How do we know? Second is that you didn't have a training group that was sophisticated enough to handle the loads and what you guys were doing. 
because you were alone. And so it's really crucial that we come back, especially in this time, to remind ourselves our training partners aren't just cheerleaders. They really allow us to inflect and know what's going on. So Juliet's my training partner. She gets on the bike and she's like, man, I just don't have it today. I'm like, great, shut your mouth. Let's do some recovery. It doesn't mean we need to shut the system down. I think that's been the mistake. You need to turn off. I'm like, do you really need to turn off? Because I'm pretty sure I can work on my balance and, and brachiate and play even if I'm trashed. I just don't have to be intense about it, right? So I can continue to move and play, but you know that is a candle that you cannot light in six different places and you figure it out. I mean, you know, it's just our fault that we did not grab you and shake you and be like, knock it off. <laughs> yeah, we had a, you know, the, the problem of being a pioneer is that nobody else has, has, has gone down that path. I mean, there were other guys right. on the path, but they were all in France or. I know. didn't know there was a, I didn't know there was a you in parkour for a yeah. long time. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I think you really were that first gen mm -hmm. and, you know, that's where it's crucial that we, make connection to the masters and really try to understand why did they think what they thought? What were their practices? And when we start to ask those questions, a lot of this is all a lot of this heavy lifting has already been done for us, right? It's up to us to stitch it together and synthesize it. You know, and we saw a generation of crossfitters when the paleo hit and they're eating their sweet potato and managing the carbs. I'm like, you're at the CrossFit games. You need to eat. Yeah. And now, if the number of carbohydrates those pure glycolytic crossfitters are eating doing their thing would stun you and yet their blood work is fine but mm -hmm. they have figured out we have to fuel versus you know a decade ago and we we're like oh, carbs are bad you're like really yeah. are they fuel for the uh, appropriately right like that's right that's right i mean i've I'm just gonna so I, I went through an interesting experience recently so i've had some kind of digestive autoimmune thing i think for a really long time um, I think my gut started, I got vitiligo, right? So that's uh, white bleaching of my skin when yeah. I was 12 years old, autoimmune condition. So, uh, so a number of my friends have like been experimenting with carnivore, like your buddy, Mark Bell. Right. So I, I, but what I heard was a lot of people are having success overcoming these autoimmune conditions. Healing your gut. Yeah. So, so I, I, I did it, but I, I, I did it with really this intention that it was like, it's not the solution long-term, it's a way to reset the system and understand how all the other things actually impact the system. So I'm not, I, I'm not I suspect eating carnivore is really an elimination diet. Exactly. You know, you're eating a ton more collagen, which you probably weren't getting enough of. Yeah. And then you eliminated a whole bunch of things. Cause I tell Mark Bell, I'm like, really, you think blueberries are the reason we're so fat? Is that what it is? It's all, it's all the carrots. I'm like, fine. Don't eat the nightshades. Don't, you know, peel your vegetables. But you know, I think what happened is we were all running around with candida and really poor gut health and that elimination diet. But you know, if you see people on the carnivore, you cannot be an elite athlete on carnivore. Sorry. I agree. I agree. And, and that was, and you appropriately identified I have this great tool. Keto was a tool to heal metabolic derangement and, and, and metabolic syndrome. And I think, you know, if you even talk to Mark Sisson about this, he's like, yeah, the goal is not to be in ketosis. The goal is to have access to your fats, to yeah. be fat adapted. That's the goal. So you may have to do this in order to sit the system up, right? You may have to learn how to deadlift to become competent and strong enough in this hip hinge. So then you just, right. And I think that's really great. I, you know, 
we, Juliet and I have a, a, a strategy of eating and we, we follow what we call the, the 800 gram challenge, which is we try to eat 800 grams of vegetables and fruits a day and try to get six to eight different kinds of vegetables and fruits. And then I add in the best quality proteins and diverse sources that I can. So I don't just eat ground beef. Yeah. I don't just eat like, you know, I'm eating fish and ground beef and eggs and all these other things. So I'm plant-based plus the best quality protein I can get, or I like to say I'm carnivore plus the plus plants. Yeah. So <laughs> however you do that, and it turns out those are really simple things. And then if I'm not moving my body much or just doing some strength training, man, I don't need a lot of carbohydrate. I get plenty from the fruits and vegetables. And then on days where I'm going to go ride my bike, you know, really hard, really far, there's a lot more fat in my diet and a little bit of rice and some other things. And, and I think what ends up happening is we trust that the human being will figure this out. And, but it's so easy once again, to fall into your tribe. I am carnivore. It is the solution to everyone. I'm like, well, let's go for a three hour bike ride. Let me know how that goes for you. You know? Yeah, I think it's a wonderful tool. And I think people need to, to think about it like that. It's, it's solving all these problems. But, and people think because it solves this problem, it is the solution to all the problems. That's right. That's right. Um, whereas for me, it was like, okay, this is a thing that's been going on long enough. I need to fix it. And this is fixing it for a lot of people. But then how do I make my system robust? Like, I, uh, I'm sure you've read Taleb's Anti-Fragile, right? Like, I want to have an anti-fragile digestive system, right? My goal is not to be to have a pure, pure diet. My goal is to have the right base and build my system up and have the digestive capacity so that if I have to, you know, if I'm at a party somewhere and I, I eat something that's not ideal, I'll be all right. Well, you're, you're nailing it. And I think, um, you lost well, your video there. I'm back. I'm coming back. Okay. Um, the key here is I agree with, you know, our friend Laird Hamilton says it best. He's like, we're out on a three hour mission right? Surf mission and you bonk, you're a liability. Like you haven't done the training and that training is sufficient enough. It's, it has to include fat adaption. It has to include being able to, 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 to manage this. And then simultaneously, he says, you know, if you go and eat a hamburger and you're getting diarrhea and your knuckles swell up, like you're also a liability. Like that's, you know, you, you know, that's not the way to eat all the time, but if you can't fuel that way, we, our friends is, you know, we're friends with Jimmy Chin. He's a, he's a good friend of ours and he documented free solo. And, um, when his movie Meru, he talked about, uh, he, I pulled him aside and was like, tell me what the down climb was like on the first failed summit attempt. He was like, it took us four days. We didn't really talk about it. I was like, what did you guys eat? He's like, we had a third of the cliff bar a day for four days. Each person got a third of the cliff bar. So I was like, okay, so there you go, right? And then I, and I was like, but your food is at the bottom, right? And he was like, yeah, but it was covered by 18 feet of snow or 10 feet of snow, so we couldn't find it. So we had another 18-hour walkout with no food. And it was that day where I realized I had, it was way too precious with fueling. I wasn't, tr you know, I'm not, we have, we have dressed up our eating as a way of control and a way of personal identity. And if, you, and if you, and if you, I would even say, you know, it's, it's identity and it's totally reasonable to do that. Right. Political affiliations, lazy tribalism is our food cultures, you know, and, but on those days, sometimes I'm like, I'll just take some water and go for a ride. I'm like, I'm not perfectly fueled. It's not great, but it's not the limiting factor. Right. Mm -hmm. And of course I don't do that all the time, but it really helped me to, you know, disentangle my emotional feelings around food with, 
performance and fueling. And um, clearly we want you to eat whole foods, right? And as many diverse sources as you can afford and the best quality of food you can afford, do the best you can. But, you know, white rice and carrots, maybe not the enemy, right? <laughs> and eating, you know, eating kale and ground beef, you know, and, and you can, and there's a, still a lot of choice in there. You know, I look at the carnivore people and I'm like, wow, you, you eat a steak. Like, are we only designed to eat one fuel source, which is steak? Right. What about, you know, and they're like, we eat eggs. I'm like, what about fish? What about game? What about, there seems to be, there's lots of, if you're going to do that, there's lots of animals you can do. And I suspect sometimes in this eating thing, we adopt just like in our movement practices, things that like sort of a confirmation bias, like I don't like to breathe hard. So I become an Olympic lifter. Right. I don't like to eat vegetables because man, I don't like vegetables. So I'm carnivore. Instead of saying, hey, there's a specific tool, let me be an N of one, an experiment of one. And that opens it all up. I mean, if you haven't, if you're afraid to eat a vegetarian meal because you're missing protein, like you're missing the point, right? Like it's beautiful foods. You know, um, if, you, if you're afraid to, you know, fast for a day because you lose your gains, like you have big problems too. So I think we can be really playful in that, you know, in that, that structure of how we're doing this and managing this and, uh, and, and continue to come back to our first practice. How do you know your running is too much? Well, you're sucking at parkour. That's how you know, right? How do you know if you're, uh, if you're eating is crap? Well, you weren't able to make it through a parkour workout and your recovery sucked. I'm like, well, great. That's information. So let's use the practice and the play as the diagnostic tool, which is, which is our original hypothesis to becoming better humans. My, uh, my attitude on the, um, the aerobic base work and power athletes was like, well, if Clyde Hart can get Michael Johnson fast enough to do 1932 uh, using a long to short system, I don't think that it's going to hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. Right. Well, you know, That's fast enough. I got to tell you, man, um, I love talking with you. Mm -hmm. um i am getting pulled into the like 17 more crazinesses with our businesses right now but let's pick up this combo because um you know you discovered you know i was really trying to understand strength and conditioning mm -hmm. you know and probably wasn't i was getting enough play through my paddling through some of the skiing through the skateboarding right the things i did and really you know in all honesty love parkour love natural movement but didn't do enough of it when we first met, you know what I mean? Yeah. And really not just because that was my movement choice. Mm -hmm. And what I just continue to appreciate is, you know, is to be a dilettante. And we usually say, you know, that sort of has a negative connotation, right? Mm -hmm. But play, play, play. And what I think is, you know, every once in a while, or every couple of weeks or so, Julie and I drop into a yoga class, a hot yoga class. Nice. And, uh, you know, it's not our jam. We, we don't want to go to yoga every single day. It's, it's not the thing that lights us up, you know. But we go there and we're like, wow, you know, how is my heat tolerance? How did I, you know, I really need to spend more time balancing on one foot, you know. Uh, you know? And sometimes I go in there and I slay it. And I'm like, wow, look at this. I was able to take my skills and transfer them to the other skills and or transfer them to the other tasks. And that's really, I think the definition of useful is can, you know, this notion of how quickly can I pick up a new skill set yeah. or occupy a new role in a new skill instead of mastering the step aerobics with weights in my little tiny domain, 
how well do I understand my domain so that I can go play in these other domains and not, not get trashed. And I, you know, this is, this is a lifetime's worthy, worthy, uh, you know, practice. It's a, it's a worthy task for the rest of our lives. Yeah. How do we, how do we become humans, human movers, right? That was one of the other questions I had written down for you. Sounds like you're, you're really pressed for time. Is that correct? It is. I'm, I'm getting, uh, I'm getting texts from my wife to saying, God, oh my gosh. Okay. So, um, what I'd love to do if we could is like pick this up, like even next week and try to finish the conversation. Cause I feel like there's a lot more that, that, that I, I wanted to get into about the, the movement, the meaning of movement, how we build the mover, how we understand the mover. Um, would that be all right? Yeah, sounds great. I think having a part one and a part two makes total sense. You know, yeah. so I think we can I just, think... we can just run it because my, my conversations run that long anyway. So, um, great. So I'll let you go and we'll just, uh, uh, I'll just, I think I still have your, your, your calendar thing. So I'll just uh, schedule another call in and we'll, we'll keep the conversation going. Thanks buddy. I appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. Talk again soon. See you Bye. next week. Thanks for listening to the Evolve Move Play podcast. If you really like the content we're putting out, make sure to leave us a five-star rating and a review. It helps tremendously in getting the word out about what we're doing. And of course, you really want to support us. You can support us on Patreon. This is a listener-funded podcast. And through your funding, it allows us to have the best equipment and to attract the best guests and build our audience. So we really appreciate it if you do those things. And we look forward to talking to you next time.